Good, Good afternoon, everybody. We got Ted Sarandos here from Netflix. Hello. Otherwise known as my drug dealer. <laughs> um, I spend more hours with the stuff that he creates um, than just about any other service. And given we haven't had lunch in a while, I've got a lot of lunch questions for you today. Perfect. This is our catch-up lunch. So, you know, one of the things I look at in media is when I give ex advice to uh, legacy media companies, often what I hear back is, we tried that and it didn't work. That's not the way we do things. And yeah. yet a lot of the success in Netflix seems to come from having no history, <laughs> but also, what if, we, what if we did this? And one of the things that I think is fantastic of what Netflix is doing right now is the number of shows that I watch that are internationally produced in non-English speaking countries. They are default with subtitles. And I think there's something very noble about that. And we were talking backstage about how one of the great British shows is a show called Broadchurch, and yet American media companies felt they needed to remake that in American. <laughs> um, and yet Netflix is having great success. We did, we did pass on that pitch. You, you passed the on the, yes, the making it American? Broadchurch is plenty great in English. And something came to mind at the Golden Globes where the director of Parasite said, once you overcome the one inch tall barrier of subtitles, you'll be introduced to so many more amazing films and television shows. So tell us the thought process when you started thinking about international productions for the US. Well, at one point it was, um, someone asked me, because we do, we do create a lot of programming, and they said, are you afraid you're gonna run out of stories and storytellers? And I said, if you believe they all live in New York and LA, yes. But I believe they're all over the world, and you know, people have been telling stories for way, way before we got here. Uh, and so the, our business is, uh, is usually international. Um, uh, the one that we talked about on our, we had, uh, our earnings call recently, and you know, we passed 100 million subscribers outside of the US on Netflix. And, uh, and in those markets, I think people really want to see their stories, and they want to see themselves represented on screen. Uh, and these stories are phenomenal, and they can travel. So our goal really is not to, not to just export Hollywood content around the world. That's not much of a superpower. A lot of big companies do that. But we can find a great story from anywhere in the world and make it play anywhere in the world. And to sometimes to enormous success, like the Casa de Papel in the US, we call it Money Heist. But the Casa de Papel was a top show in 70 countries. Uh, and it's an enormous success for us everywhere, subtitled and dubbed, you know, however, whichever way people like it. But in general, what they're doing is they're making these great stories. Like, you, they've always made good, great stories in, in India, but you probably have never seen many of them. Sure. So we do uh, original shows like Sacred Games and Delhi Crime, and they play everywhere in the world, and Indian television has never exported anywhere in the world. You know, and as I've traveled on my own around the world, you know, what I come to believe is, People want a roof over their heads. They want their children to be you know, healthy. They want food in their stomachs, meaning yep. there are lots of common things. Do you, did you guys think about that from a corporate responsibility standpoint, which is telling the stories of people in other countries through the eyes of the people that, that live there in the US, was there, was there a noble play there, or was it a happenstance? You know, some of it's DNA. You know, our business, you know, I know you just got back from Sundance. Yep. Uh, so much of our kind of creative DNA kind of came out of the indie world. So uh, m myself and my team and the people who've been on my team the longest are, are, are big fans of these kind of more intimate stories and foreign language film and all those things. So it didn't seem unusual for us to champion them. Uh, and we've also saw back in, the D in our early days when we were just mailing DVDs around, um, the, what was really successful was our ability to take these underdistributed films, which tended to be those kind of stories, sure. and give them a big uh, international, or big, at that time, national platform. And if people actually had access to those stories, they choose them. 
so we were, you know, we have always had a bias towards that anyway. I've, I've internally, I kind of refer to it as, you know, what, are the, what, are the, what do you want to do when you watch a movie or a TV show? You either want to connect, you know, that's the emotional connection, sure. or you want to escape. You just get away from it all. And we're really great at Connect, and we're getting better at Escape. <laughs> if you had to give the, the audience, what are the three shows, non-English language, that we should be watching? Well, if Besides you had, Money Heist. Yeah, I'd say Money Heist I would include, just because in the U.S., as, as, as strong as that show is playing everywhere in the world, they're in the U.S., we have had a, an embarrassment of riches of programming in English. So they really don't, so people didn't get very adventurous. Sure. So the, um, the likeliness that people in America are watching anything in a foreign language is very low relative to anywhere else in the world. Uh, compared to particularly places like, like Brazil, where about 80% of what people watch is not Portuguese. Sure. Uh, they're just, you know, they're, it's been there, it's the habit of finding great stories from wherever you go. Um, but we've got, like, I'm going to tell you two coming up right now. Um, we are launching, we have 130 seasons of local language television that we're producing this year alone. Wow. Um, and our very, and next month we're, we're uh, launching, in a couple weeks, uh, we're launching Queen Sonos and Blood and Water, which are our very first shows from Africa. From, and they were being produced in South Africa, and we're going over for the premiere in a couple of weeks, and we're really excited about those. That's awesome. Yeah. So, but another one, just as an example, I know we just came out of the holiday season, but there was a, a little uh, sh show from Norway called Home for Christmas. That's a, a rom-com series uh, that um, was a huge hit for us all over the world. It got about 19 times the watching outside of Norway. So it's like that, those kind of things, like where these hits are going to come from. Uh, Casa de los Flores from Mexico. Uh, these, are, these are shows that people, I think people will recognize the forms, uh, but maybe seeing those people and those stories for the first time. A lot of us are recognizing film on Netflix beyond just the catalogs that you've licensed in the past. Yeah. But you've got Six Underground from Michael Bay. You've got The Irishman from um, uh, Scorsese. Uh, Marriage Story, also nominated for an Academy Award. Two um, Globes. Uh, two, uh, two Globes, sorry. <laughs> um, you know, one thing that I lament about what I hear now is you've seen these media companies getting bigger through acquisition. They've taken yes. a franchise model, specifically Disney. So you're seeing assembly line, uh, you know, sort of uh, attachments to film, one a year, bigger tent poles, they build the ride, and we're missing this middle. You yeah. come out of this, this ethos of indie film or these middle movies that maybe have been 20 or $30 million productions that are not getting made as much. My theory has been that the streaming services, specifically Netflix, is going to be a boon for that, meaning we're not going to lose that voice. And the way that you guys can find the cohorts and the different kinds of audiences are really perfect for that kind of film. Yeah. How is film going to drive the next evolution of user growth and how, how important is that to Netflix in terms of content mix? Um, it's really important. I mean, you saw our investment in this year. This year, you, you mentioned Irishman, Six Underground. We also had uh, Eddie Murphy's return in Dolomite sure. and the two popes from Fernando Morales. Um, and Dolomite and, and the Irishman, how, tell the audience, like, how long weren't those movies made for? Oh, well, the, the, I, Martin Scorsese tried to get the Irishman made for more than almost 15 years, pitching it everywhere. And by the way, I think when I tell that story, I try to remind people all the time, it's just, it's a, we have a different business model. So if, if I had to make my money back on that movie by selling movie tickets to a three and a half hour movie that you know, can only show basically once a day, sure. yeah, it's a very tough business model. On the converse but, though, if they a, had a streaming service where they could build asset value out of having a movie like The Irishman, that'd be a good business Well, and people watch a lot more on Netflix than they go to see in the theater. So the chances that they're gonna watch that movie are much higher. The, bar the, the friction to watching that movie is lower on Netflix for sure. But also, you look at that, it was a very big financial risk, it was a very big technology. The technology to do the de-aging was not working at the time we greenlit the movie. 
So basically, the leap that we took with, with Martin Scorsese, and by the way, I know it sounds like a big leap because it was a lot of money, but the leap was that we trusted Martin Scorsese to make a mob movie with Al Pacino and Robert De Niro <laughs> and Joe Pesci. Um, it's right, pretty much in all their wheelhouses. I think they got this. But the technology they used to present you know, them as younger men uh, did not, it wasn't ready. So when we greenlit it, so basically it was a race against the clock that the tech would get done by the time the, the film was in final cut. So when you hear about this middle dropping out, yeah. do the smarties at Netflix like put lobster bibs on and like being like, <laughs> we're going to eat this whole industry up because they're going to forget about we it? We just have always seen it work. Like I said, people want to see these stories that are about people. Movies that, it's very rare to see a hit movie that takes place on planet Earth anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where, where, the dog, where animals don't talk, where no one has a superpower. And it's not to say there's anything wrong with that. It's not, I'm not dismissing it. It's really great yeah. entertainment. But, there, but I do think that you know, movies is, is a storytelling medium, uh, you know, real human drama, which I think is there is a market for it. And you wouldn't guess that by looking at the top 10 movies um, around the world in the last decade. I think it's very cynical, meaning these are assets that want to be optimized. You'll get the TV show out of them. You'll get the video game in the app, and you'll get the... Um, you know, every other manifestation, the ride of it. Right. Whereas you're in the sort of placate, not placating, but serving micro audiences on your platform, and therefore smaller films can be bigger on your platform than maybe they'd be in the current ecosystem. Correct. Yeah, there's so, not a, when you look at the, um, we, we often release the numbers of our movies, you know, like in the case of Irish, when we talk about, you know, 40 plus million people, you know, watcher, or starters watching the movie. Um, what that equates to, I mean, if you look at that in terms of just cultural cachet, uh, how many people saw it, it's definitely as big as anything in the, in the theater. So. so we've talked about this before, but you know, I used to watch the Oscars every year with my mom. It's hard to sort of see you know, something's better than the other, but it was a great way to spotlight yeah. films and appreciate the art in, amongst all the commerce. And we've seen these battles. Unfortunately, it's been pitted as a Netflix versus the industry or Netflix versus Steven Spielberg. But I look at it as a film is a continuous you know, one to two hour piece of content or one and a half hour to two hours. Yes, I like going to the movie theater. But the reality is when I walk into my you know, uh, sister's house and I see my nieces and nephews on the ground with an iPad, they just have a different juxtaposition to what a screen is. A narrative's a narrative. If you make a movie and it's shown on Netflix and not in the theater, I think it should be nominated for an Oscar. And what I'm worried about, and I don't mean to disrespect it, but if you look at where the media companies are going and the kinds of movies they're making, you're going to have a very small you know, sort of set of kinds of films that get nominated. Um, you are being we, able to we placate. Do, we do, by the way. We do, every year we release 30 to 40 films a year yep. in the theater. Um, Roma, from last year, literally last month, just left the last theater in Japan. I mean, it had been playing in the theaters nonstop for well, 15 months. So I, I don't see... Irishman's I, in theaters. We've been in about 2,000 theaters with the Irishman, about 900 theaters with... So the, you put it in the theater. Yeah. You're following the rules of the Academy. 100%. It's nice that it's in the theater, but in 10 years or five years, I don't think it should have to be. Yeah. I think it's very hypocritical. You've got some of the people at the Academy. I forget uh, the guy's name that sits on the board of uh, AMC theaters. <laughs> I see you buying movie theaters and restoring them. Yeah. I don't see the movie business trying to save theaters. In fact, there's less seats than ever before. What's the, what's the, the, the Paris theater that we, that we kind of rescued in New York um, was the last single screen theater in Manhattan. And it was, every, out there, and it was about to become a, a pharmacy. Um, so we were able to bring to save it from being turned into a pharmacy, and I do think that there is the, the, what, I'm, what I'm saying is there that it's is not the, the CVS theater, or <laughs> but it's a really great look. At I think I lo I love going to the theater. Uh, I told the story recently about the I remember vividly 
you know, seeing the, my Blazing Saddles was the first R-rated movie I ever saw in a movie theater when I was 10 years old. And I thought I, you know, I thought I'd robbed a bank. I got away with this thing. And, but I'm just thinking that experience, I just remember it so vividly. I remember seeing Jaws in the movie theater and everybody screaming when that head came out of the boat. Yeah. And those are things, that's a real experience. Those are real things. But so is watching a movie on your couch and crying all night. And so is watching, you know, movies and being thrilled all day. So I just think in general, it is the medium and our, our, my focus and the focus of Netflix and Scott Stuber, who runs our film group, to make the best movies possible. Everything else will take care of itself. And, and the, the movies have to be undeniable. And they're the same exact movie made the exact same way as they would have if they were releasing it uh, and, you know, in a theater. What, what do you think the Academy is thinking about is it, 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 and why they focus on you? The reality is that if the Academy is about filmmakers, you would argue that a Netflix is very good for film because you're allowing 100%. things to get made that the traditional ecosystem of which the Oscars focus on are not focusing on yeah. anymore. And by the way, we're talking about this like it's, uh, it's largely over. I mean, we had, our films were nominated for 24 Oscars this year. They were the, mo were the most nominated studio at the Oscars. But you put it in the theater. Huh? But they were in the theater, so you were, you were placating the old way. Yeah, look, but also, we also are opening, our, opening up to choice. I mean, some people I would definitely want to go out, to the, out on Friday night, and the best movie to see is The Irishman. And I would love it if they had the choice to see that at home or on Netflix if they want. Uh, and that, the only thing that's standing in the way now is the major chains that won't book them. But in general, they're, in, you know, they're, in a lot, they're on a lot of screens. And they're great films, and they are getting nominated. And how much, do you, how much of the future is going to be in refurbishing more theaters, or is that a case by case? Thing? Well, we'll see how this one goes. I think that there were those two. We have in New York, and, and we did in, in LA with the, um, with the Egyptian. And it gives us a place to showcase the products. We do, you know, we, we have a five to seven premieres a week of our films and series work. So there's a lot of things that we do. And the other thing that we're doing with those spaces is helping support uh, showcasing um, uh, new talent, uh, working with, with BAFTA, you know, to, to be able to showcase talent in, in, in New York and LA that otherwise wouldn't be, you know, be seen. So we're going to try to use this as a real hub for film culture and film love. You know, it's fascinating. When you watch some of the traditional cable channels try to move into streaming, they're sticking with a niche. And uh, as some of our Redef originals have, have you know, sort of um, looked at Netflix and seen that you guys were really looking at even like a cable system dial yeah. and seeing, you know, what are the categories of programming from sports to news to reality to whatever it is. Yeah. One thing from day one that you guys have concentrated on, it was even broken out as its own tab originally, were kids. Yeah. And you'd have content from Disney and you did a deal with DreamWorks and all the providers of content. Yeah. Fast forward, now everyone's taking back their ammunition, or not everybody, in order to start their own services. And yet you've leaned into animation, an area that you, know, you were nascent in. You're getting awards. You know, how, how have you prepared for the, the taking back of content at Netflix? And then talk about you know, specifically animation and kids are really how you get people not to, to leave your service. Well, it's been secular. So I think in, we knew years ago when we first got into making our own original series, it's going back just over seven years ago now, that um, we said to ourselves, if the, what we believed the future of this all would be was be that all networks and, would, and all studios would go direct to consumer. They would be ABC, the network would become ABC.com. And, and if that was all true, then they weren't gonna wanna sell us their stuff. So if that was gonna be the case, we better get good at making our own. And that's when we invested in shows like House of Cards and Orange is the New Black and uh, Lily Hammer in that first year. And the same was true of the cattle, you know, for a television pro product. Same thing was true for movies. The same thing would be true for, for catalog down the road. So we got into it a while ago. Uh, and I remember one of the first big, you know, shifts in the business was uh, uh, 
Viacom decided they didn't want to put our, the Nickelodeon content on Netflix anymore because the ratings were you know, tanking. So they didn't renew the deal and all this Nickelodeon content came off of Netflix. And we knew it was coming. We had a few months in, or six months to get ready for it. And we were able to license other programming that came on in its place. And overnight, all the programming, all the viewing that was happening on Nickelodeon just started happening on this other set of programming. And we didn't lose a second of kids watching on Netflix. And so in that world, you start thinking, well, look, I don't want to be beholden to people's whims that have, uh, that have nothing to do with us. Sure. So, we, we, so about three years ago, we started investing in our own original animation features. We've been doing, we had other people producing original um, animated series for us, but this was an uh, early investment in animated features along the lines of the things you see in the theater. Uh, our very first one self-produced was Klaus that was out this year. Um, it, we had, it was a huge hit for us on Netflix over the fourth quarter, and, it was, uh, and it's nominated for Best Animated Feature at the Oscars. And it's been a big breakthrough for kind of the first out. But I'm so thrilled that we started this three years ago, because we're, we're building a pipeline to release four to six uh, animated features a year. So I used to be at Viacom, and we yeah. would walk into a cable company and be like, you take off Nickelodeon and you know, people are going to leave the cable system. Yeah. You know, as, as things change in the business and there's sort of these isms that people believe their catalogs are so strong or whatever, yeah. is there a liberating factor? I'm sure you were nervous when Viacom took oh, their sure. stuff off. Sure. But then there's a, there, when Viacom comes back to the table and wants to license their stuff again, yeah. are they in a less, you know, a less you know, favorable position? No, I mean, the relationship's never been better. We're actually producing original content with, with the Nickelodeon IP. We're producing original SpongeBob's for Netflix, so we're doing a lot of that now. So I just think it's, it's all in cycles. And the main, the main one, like I said, if we, what we really focus on is keeping people happy. Sure. What we know is that people watch Netflix a lot, people like you, uh, that you stick around. So if, we, if, you're, if you're not finding great things to watch, if you're not being entertained, that's when we're in trouble. And, you, and that's usually not because you're finding it somewhere else. Yep. It's, so it's like for us, it's us focusing on making the choices better, making sure the content is great, making sure when you push play on episode one that you stick around all the way through episode 10. There are things about the consumer that I think you guys intrinsically know that because the cable companies have not been direct to consumer before, don't understand. And yeah. I'll give you an example. Um, at the upfronts, when we would sell in our ads at Viacom, you know, you'd sell in a number, and it didn't behoove you to over-deliver, meaning why would you want to give away more, you know, delivery of a, of a rating than you sold? Right. So what would happen is you'd make your number by October sometimes, and then the network would, put, would throw on reruns, or they'd throw on um, music videos, there'd be the Thanksgiving Day Parade, whatever right, it was. Right. And yet I noticed this when you and I first became friends, that around right before Thanksgiving, there's a dump of content, it's a couple of documentaries, a film, a couple of TV shows, and the constant nature of that and the constant alerts that I get make it in my mind, cognitively, that I'm never going to leave Netflix because of what may come. Yeah. And yet I don't see that at the level. Like what, if you were giving any advice, I, I find it funny that Netflix puts out their HR deck and all their strategies, and yet it comes down to execution. If you're giving advice on how you really care about the consumer beyond stories, what would it be for a media company? The main one is, is that, you know, think about how different we are from all those different channels that you talked about. And we were able to figure out early on how different we were than cable because what would happen was people would, be, would their kids would start on PBS and they'd age out to the Disney Channel. And then they'd age out of the Disney Channel to Nick. And they'd age out of Nick back to the Disney Channel. And what we were finding was our members were aging through Netflix and staying with us because we had programming for them as they got older, as their taste evolved, as they became more worldly. And that's true, I think, of how when we're addressing a big base of users, tastes are incredibly diverse. And you cannot 
be able to be as passionate uh, a member if I'm only focusing on you because you're a, a male of a certain age. And Viacom's strategy was, you know, yeah. you get born, you use Nickelodeon, you die, you go to CBS. Right, right, right. You know, that was basically yeah. the continuum. But this, the <laughs> you know? and or, or TV land, one or the other. But, but the fact that people are finding that where you don't have to leave Netflix as your, as your chase evolved. I was always saying, people are so different. My wife and I, we agree on enough things that we got married, but we cannot agree on a show to watch. You know, so, how, how I many, need, so we need two shows just for us. I'm curious, you know, the biggest problem I have with my girlfriend is what am I allowed to watch without her? <laughs> like, how many divorces have you guys caused at Netflix? The, the people who are cheat, cheat, yeah, binge. Yeah, cheetah, yes, you know, yes. Casa de Popola, you may have to get a separation over <laughs> um, You hear that a lot? That I, I do encourage people to be honest and tell their, tell their spouses well, that they're going to watch without them. What's annoying is that when you have share a profile, it shows if you started the episode or not. <laughs> I can't lie. Um, I know you know what I'm talking about over but the, here. But, but Jason, the key to this all is that, it, it, that we have to make the programming so good that you're willing to do that. You're willing to question your own ethics because you can't sit there and you're watching that TV and you're thinking about it because it's that good. Yep. You know, and I think that really is the challenge of what we're doing and that we hold ourselves to a super high bar. And I know when we sat down, you said you want to talk a lot about you know, competition and everything. We really don't think about it that much. And I don't mean that with any arrogance. Oh, I we just really think about the consumer only. And the more that we look forward and look to taking care of consumers, instead of looking over our shoulders, we're less likely to trip. So let's talk about growth. So I was on yeah. CNBC a couple of weeks ago. I think you had seen it. And um, you know, Disney Plus is about to launch. And they're like, Netflix is going to go down. And all this competition's coming in the marketplace. You know, at MTV, we had sort of free reign at, at youth for many years, and yeah. we thought we were smarter than we were because no one else was entering the space. Then the internet comes, and there's more competition. Um, one of the things I don't think you guys get credit for is where you are in the United States is huge, and you've seen that in the stock price, but there's all this upside internationally. Yeah. How do you guys look at growth going forward, and how much of it is dependent on internationally, and, and where do you think those huge pockets of growth are going to be? Well, I mean, we're growing both internationally and domestically, and, and remember, we're, we're comping off of a very big number when we talk about our, our domestic growth. So when we look at those numbers, we think, you know, we think we're going to continue to grow in, in the numbers that we've talked about uh, in our guidance. I think in the international market, it's just completely untapped. I mean, you've got 800 million broadband and pay TV households around the world. So we're, we're very lightly uh, penetrated in, into just that market. So I think we have plenty of growth to go. And, and the internet infrastructure and payment infrastructure and all those things that we're pretty sophisticated about are getting better and better everywhere in the world. I remember Barry Diller and I were doing an interview once and he said, when Netflix hits 50 million, it's game over. <laughs> so you're at 150 million now globally? Is that yeah, the number? 167, yeah. 160, um, You know, I asked you this the other day, but I want to ask you publicly. Like, is this going to be the first service that has a, a billion subs worldwide? And how do you work towards that? I mean, the market's big enough. I don't know if we'll, we're, we're going we're gonna to work hard at it. The same, we're going to keep going. Doing what, and what, what would you and we think the best way to do that is to be just to keep entertaining. Uh, and, and you see, you know, Iger threw out his numbers of subs. They seem to be on their way. Do you want to throw out the billion number now to, as a test to your, to your, uh, your come on. No, you know? no, I'm super comfortable with what we've been doing, and we're going to keep doing it. That's the key. When you think about the competition going forward, um, not individually, but I look at Netflix as the basis for my home. I used to watch AMC, FX, uh, Showtime, HBO, Sight Unseen. But when I'm in the interface of Netflix, I get called into things that I wasn't even looking for. If I'm searching for spies, you're giving me you know, documentaries on it. If I've searched for Bohemian Rhapsody yeah. and, and I don't find it, you give me rock movies. Yeah. Um, you're, you're a sophisticated watcher, though, so you're searching more often than an average user. I, I, know, I yeah. know that's the case. But I will tell you that I'm at the point now, I don't believe in peak TV. I believe in peak time. 
I'm talking to God about a, you know, a 25 hour, eight day a week thing. Yeah. So I could watch more Netflix. Amazon and Netflix are the basis of my home. I will probably buy all the services because I can yeah, afford them. And you're a hyper yeah. user. Yeah. But cable isn't going to get replaced. What do you think is the risk some some of these services that are like, is anyone asking for more video? I can't even watch what I want to watch on Netflix right now. I, look at I, I just think of everyone. It's this, this is the best time in the world to be a, mo a lover of movie and, movies and TV because the choices are unbelievable. It's a great time to be a creator because the, there's a buyer, you know, there's a lot of competitive buyers, so the, the market's very frothy for, for content. And at the end of the day, I think you know, no one complains about too much of anything else they love. I don't know why there would be this massive complaint. There's too much to watch. Sure. You, people are just going to find, and again, your tastes are so diverse. The chances that you're going to have a deep relationship with the content you're watching are much better the more choices you have. And that's, that's why I think it's happening. That's why I think it's different than just you know, 500 ch ch cable channels and nothing to watch. Sure. That was always the knock against it. But there was plenty to watch. And TV was in, you know, in, its, in its golden days. So choose your own adventure and sort of interactive narratives have been a promise in this business for a long time. Yeah. Whether it be you know, interactivity with um, commerce. We were talking about gold pocket of old backstage. Yeah. Um, you guys have had some early success in that. Um, as we pointed out in some of our Redef uh, original stuff, that usually um, changes in technology are applied to distribution and other things. Yeah. You're, you're applying it to narrative. How important is that going forward? Look, at right now, I'd say it's been proven for us to be successful with kids. So we've done it with a lot of kids programming. Uh, it's been really great for us with Black Mirror. We did a great Black Mirror episode called Bandersnatch sure. that really kind of uh, broke the technology to, to really... Do, when you, if you play along with this thing, the way that it's gotten so good that like, there's, there's formats that I think people will probably knock off if, they, if, if interactive gets bigger, but things like the aspect ratio changes when it was time to choose. And then when the choices start to intensify, if you're um, playing the, the episode through a game console, the game controller in your hand vibrates even more intensely. It's like, there's a very immersive thing that goes on. But if it's really a, an evolution in storytelling, it has to work with comedy, it has to work with romance, it has to work with drama. Uh, otherwise, it's just a fun way to, to play sometimes. Do you see, uh, if you look at VR, when we talk about the experience going to the yeah. theater, I love when the lights go yeah. down and I love that I'm not supposed to be on my phone. Um, I never thought that VR would be a place for that kind of narrative, but is there a way for VR to recreate the movie experience in terms of a wide picture and all that kind of stuff that you guys are excited about? Yeah, we've, there's, there are VR applications of Netflix where you can put on the glasses and, and, you're feels, in, like and you're feels like you're in a bigger theater. Yeah, yeah. Got it. They're fun to play with, but it's mostly that right well, now. Well, listen, you've brought me more happiness than you know, and I torture <laughs> you for it. Um, and I think Netflix has changed the game, and frankly, it's been great for, as, a, as a fan of content. And then, frankly, you're lighting a fire under the ass of a lot of the companies that we depend on that maybe don't innovate. Uh, Ted Sarandos, thank everybody. You. Thank you.